Hey, this is Feist, and you're listening to Talk House. I have a new podcast series called Pleasure Studies. It's a storytelling project that looks at the common ground under our common struggles. It's not an interview series. I handed the mic over to people. We found them from all walks of life to talk about the places where they face themselves. Hard times are made harder by hiding out in that feeling that we're alone. This podcast seeks to look at how we're not. The Pleasure Studies, presented by Erios and Talkhouse. Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. A tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? What is up? I'm your host, Elliot Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. On today's show, a very cool three-way conversation featuring the Flaming Lips Wayne Coyne with Claypool Lennon Delirium's Les Claypool and Sean Lennon. Joining me from Chicago, previously called Chi-Town, now evidently according to a show called The Shy. It's Josh Modell. Hi, Elia. I'm here in The Shy. <laughs> Josh, I was very psyched that we were able to get Wayne, Les, and Sean all on the line together just before they head out on a big national tour. This is a pretty incredible three-way, if you don't mind me putting it like that. (laughs) I don't mind. I don't think they would either. On one side of the conversation, we have the Flaming Lips' Wayne Coyne, a musical legend. He's led that band since 1983 through psychedelic rock, punk rock, acid rock, any kind of hyphenate you want, and done it all amazingly well. I'd like to add to that, Josh, the Flaming Lips put on one of the best live shows I've ever seen. I've seen them a number of times, and they are consistently bonkers and amazing. Yeah, you never know if you're going to get a confetti cannon, a nine-foot giraffe, a Wayne out in the crowd (laughs) in a bubble, but you know you're going to get an amazing show, no matter what. Now, for Record Store Day this year, the Flaming Lips dropped King's Mouth, a full-length LP which features narration from Mick Jones of The Clash on every song. Yeah, it's such a typical, atypical Flaming Lips thing to do, right? Like, (laughs) got to keep yourself busy, keep yourself interested. Oh, let's just get Mick Jones from The Clash to narrate the thing. Why not? (laughs) From that new record, King's Mouth, let's check out Fidaludum Beetle Dot. Wayne, you made me say that. Josh, the Flaming Lips sound has changed so much over the years, and yet somehow there's so much classic lips in there, right? It's always recognizable, even as it gets weird. Now, as regular TalkHouse podcast listeners might remember, TalkHouse co-curated Rough Trade NYC's Record Store Day. We brought in all the DJs. Wayne was also there. He'd built a sculpture for the King's Mouth. You could actually climb into the King's Mouth and sit inside his psychedelic brain wearing 3D glasses and listening to samples of the record and some audio created specifically for the sculpture. I hear rumors that's going to be touring when this record drops. Nice. Never a dull moment with the Flaming Lips. Never a dull moment with Wayne. Now, in the other corner, Josh, recording before their show in Sacramento at Ace of Spades, we have Sean Lennon and Les Claypool, two more legends. Les, of course, made his name as a leader of Primus, he then went on to form a number of other bands, including The Frog Brigade and Oysterhead, the latter alongside Fish's Tranastasio and the police's Stuart Copeland. Yeah, and Sean Lennon has released albums under his own name with Chibo Mato, with Ghost of a Sabertooth Tiger, with his mom, Yoko Ono, and Plastic Ono Band. He's also done work as a producer for everybody from Black Keys to Lana Del Rey. He's worked with John Zorn. He's had an incredible career over the last 30 or so years. Now, when Claypool, Lennon, Delirium released their first record, Monolith of Phobos, back in 2016, TalkHouse hosted them at a live event here in New York City. We knew that when they dropped their sophomore joint, South of Reality, we had to welcome them back to the show. From their new record, South of Reality, let's check out the track, Blood and Rockets.
Josh, I feel like I'm on a psychedelic carousel here. Don't take the brown acid, dude. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> Wayne, Les, and Sean get into a lot in this conversation. Of course, they're very excited to hit the road together. And Sean has some questions for Wayne about how he comes up with new ideas for Flaming Lips' incredible visuals. They talk about what they learned from their peers, including the butthole surfers, Gibby Haynes, lighting fires on stage. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bootsy Collins sleeping in his platform boots. And of course, when you're talking about hardcore touring, you got to talk about Mike Watt, who definitely jams Econo. We also hear about Wayne and Les's secret superpowers. We hear him talk about playing to pachyderms. We learn what the true version of Van Halen requires. And about riding light-up unicorns and having the best New Year's Eve ever, every single night. And now, let's hear about all those things, as well as futuristic alien ceremonies for robots. One quick note, listeners. Les Claypool's nickname for Sean Lennon is somewhere between Seaner and Shiner. So if you hear that <laughs> word, that's who he's talking about. That's who he means. Should we roll the tape, Josh? Let's hear it. Is that, is that Sean Lennon? Hey, Wayne, what's up, man? I'm in Oklahoma, and you're, where are you guys at? We're in Sacramento. Sacramento. This is Les. What's happening, man? Oh, is that Claypool back there? Yep. All right. Are you guys playing in Sacramento? Is that why you're there? Yeah. We just got here. Oh, cool. We're just here to do some roller skating. I've been following, you know, your tour little by little, and, and I noticed Sean was out fishing. Is that because, you did you join Les in a fishing expedition? I joined him in a fishing expedition. Well, I didn't catch much. No, Les <laughs> is definitely the king fisherman around here. But it's fun. We went out in Missoula, like, fly fishing on a river. It was pretty nice. Wow. You mean, like, real, like, fly fishing? Like, it's a, like it's a thing. I mean, I just always think it's just some, a worm on the end of a stick, and you're just hoping something happens. See, that, that sounds way more advanced than anything I, I could even think of. That's basically all there is, too, with me. I, they just gave me a stick, and I just kept... Smacking it. Shiner is a worm on the end of a stick. <laughs> <laughs> I well, was you know, the there's the carrot those... and the donkey, and then there's the worm and the stick, and then there's Shiner in there somewhere in the midst of it all. So, man, congratulations. <clears throat> yeah, congratulations oh, yeah, on, little... on pa Papadum. You're, uh, you're... Yeah, I mean, we, we have this little baby. He's three weeks old and three weeks and three days as of today. So, yeah, he's brand, brand new to the world. Les, you have, you have kids? Uh, I have adults now. They're off on their own. Well, they're not on their own. They're still tethered to me financially. But um, well, how old are how old are your kids? My son's twenty three. He's finishing up college right now down in SoCal, and my daughter is twenty one. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And do they do they come to your shows and 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 love your music and all that sort of stuff, or are they rebellious in a different way? Uh, well, my daughter's coming to the show this evening, and chances are she will ridicule both myself and Sean, because that's what she does. <laughs> it's like having Sarah Silverman for a daughter. Yeah, she's pretty cynical. I could see her ridiculing you, or if we were there, or well, the flaming What are you trying lips, to say? But why pick on Sean? I'm an easy target, man. I don't know. She's she's acerbic. She, well, when she sees this man bun he's <laughs> rocking right now, she's, she's, she's going to have some fodder. She's She's definitely funny. <laughs> He, Sean and my daughter have a very interesting relationship. They're, they're like siblings, and they peck at each other like, like chickens with extra dots on their heads. Oh, she's cool. Oh, good. Okay. So Sean is, he's, he's prepared for it. Yeah, I can handle it. I went to boarding school. Well, when you said Sarah Silverman, I was like, oh, my God. You know, occasionally you have to do these sort of things where you're in a conversation and there's a comedian involved, you know, and I'm like, I can never do that. You know, I'm, only, I'm just talking like telling my simple, boring truth. And, you know, comedians are so, they're so fast and so quick and they always have like a smart, funny answer. And I'm just saying yes and no. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm, I mean, I feel like you guys are the same way. Well, it would be hard to always be on like that. I can't imagine having to always be funny. Oh, I know. sometimes you're not even in the mood to just even just do an interview and then you have to be witty and I couldn't handle that. Yeah, I'm, I've always thought that was a great thing about you, Sean, is that, you know, it's really just normal. And I'm not you know, funny you, at you, all. You, <laughs> you're like, I love the fact that Sean is no, completely I, dull. I think you're, I He's think like a you're, lump you're of very cheese. Insightful and very, cheese. I, no, I, I think you're very funny and very insightful and Thanks, relaxed man. and all those. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the great thing. You know, part of this interview was, there was like this question, like, how did we meet? And I, I honestly, I can't. Remember now. I mean, I feel like I've I've known you 
forever. You know, yeah. and I don't, I mean, I've, I've known of Les and Primus and, you know, all that. I, somewhere in there, it goes from being like, I know them, I know their music, and they're out there to you know them. And I, that's just a blurry moment for me, especially yeah, with well, you, Sean. I kind of. It's been a while for us. I think the first, the first time we met was, um, it was at a show. I think it was Chibomato was playing. Do you remember that old band I was playing with called Chibomato with the two Japanese girls, Yuka and Miho? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think I think we either played a show with y'all or we were in the same place, but we definitely hung out after one of your shows. I, but I, that was like oh, there you 96 or something. It was, a, it was pretty early. And um, Gosh, yeah, I remember you telling me about all these crazy art, pieces you wanted to do back then even i mean your show already had the performance art element in it but it was a much smaller production let's say but you were like man i want to get like a thousand cars and have them all play the radio at once or something like you had some oh you're right super performance wow, that, art and that ideas. would be like yeah that would be like 1996 and stuff wow i mean that that's knowing each other a long fucking time and then and then i i think we also were in the same Either the same shows or, or the same nights around in Tokyo. I remember seeing your guys play it in Tokyo. That was actually really oh, amazing. Oh, perfect. There you go. At, at yeah. a place called the Liquid Room, I think, or a couple different places. Oh, but man. Yeah. You've, you've got a good memory. I do not, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I remember you, but I don't remember exactly, like, where were we and where was the place? Luckily, well, I, most of the time I've Because you've been playing Steven. shows, like, every day since then, whereas I've taken some breaks, so. <laughs> It must be hard to remember. We have played a lot of tours together, but you've done like how how, how many shows a year are you guys playing still? We don't. I mean, we don't do that many. We play all the time, but we don't. You know, we. I always compare it to like the Grateful Dead, where they. You know, we don't play like two hundred and fifty shows a year like some bands. You know. Yeah. But we play all the time. Doing maybe I don't know maybe sixty seventy. You know, not very many if you think about. You know, being on tour, you know. Yeah, like Dylan, um, I think never, he did like 300 or something once. I mean, I think Dylan was touring like 300 days a year at one point. Oh, my gosh. I mean, for me personally, you know, I knowing Mike Watt, you know, from the Minutemen, and then when he went off to do his Firehose tours, you know, he would, he'd have like one day off and play like 80 shows. And I never thought that was good. You know, I always thought... My gosh, even yeah, if you Watt, Watt is a different species. Yeah. He's, you know, that guy, he does 30 shows in 31 days, books the show, settles the show, drives the van, keeps a spare set of strings in his back pocket in case he breaks one on stage. He you know. keys in a bottle. He also <laughs> He's the only bottle. true punk rocker I've ever met. Like, he is really, I've seen him wear out people that claim they're punk rockers. For sure, and he pees in a bottle. For sure. Well, we he all pee in bottles, but you don't necessarily have to. It's just for fun. But you know, he when he was I out mean, with Iggy Pop, he would he wouldn't stay in the bouge hotel rooms that they had because you know Iggy Pop gets the Four Seasons and stuff, and he'd be like, "I'm not staying in a bouge hotel room." And Watt always stays like with the people, so he'd like every show. He's like, "Anyone have have a couch for Watt?" And like someone would hold up their hand, <laughs> and he would go sleep on someone's couch while he had a like a four star hotel room waiting for him. Like he's really punk. see. This he's, is where. This is where he needs some advice, and I'd say, Watt, we love you, Watt. Don't we love sweat you, it man. that much. We love yeah, you. Staying in a hotel doesn't diminish your credibility, like you, you're worrying that it does. But I have a feeling he's taking the buyout, though, too, bro. You know, I don't <laughs> maybe. Think, I, I think. Well, I think there's a couple extra yeah, quid involved but, in this. That might be it. That might but be for it. me personally, I would say, hey, a good night's sleep in a great hotel is worth the money sometimes, right? For sure. I don't. I don't take hotels. Recently, this is a recent thing it's for you. It's been the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. A couple of years, he has his own bus with a shower. Well, the bus can be even worse than a hotel. I mean, it's it's your own little place, you know. Yeah, you but he, he, to... he has a great one. Tell him, tell him it's, what, what's it called? It's called La Fauna, but what kind of bus is it's it? A, it's, it's a, a secret. It's a secret Can't bus. Can't tell the world. It's cool, though. Uh, it's a, it's a, my bus is 30 years old, and her name's La Fonda. That's all, that's all I'll say. But she's a, <laughs> she's a glorious, glorious hunk of shiny steel going down the road. She's cool. Does it have air conditioning? Uh, yeah. Oh, no. You know, we just hang our heads out the windows, put ice cubes on our forehead. Wow. She's an older, she's an older rig, but, but she's glorious. I'm, I'm a sucker. I'm, I'm, I come from a long line of auto mechanics. I have a lot of old Chryslers and old—I'm just a sucker for old— 
machinery. Right. And so I stumbled across this thing and, and my kids have moved out. My wife wanted to come on the road and I said, all right, let's do this thing. And we got La Fonda and now, and I take it on days off. I drive it to campgrounds and we go camping on days off. That's pretty nice. Like, didn't, didn't you get that idea from Trey? Trey Parker? Yeah. Wasn't that the idea that he never, he never takes a room either? Or he never used to. Maybe he does now. Back in the day, I'm shrugging my shoulders for yeah, all those you people, all you people out in Radio Land. That was a good visual. It's a good bus, man. <laughs> you should check it out. Well, maybe that's just that the kinship of the bass players. You know, they the they kinship feel of like the bass they, players. They have to drive their own. Do you pee into a a, a bottle like uh, <laughs> like Watt does? I'm peeing into a bottle right now. <laughs> Well, yeah, we, there you go. No shame in that. You know, for me, that's where the flaming lips, we would always draw the line. It's like, <laughs> we, as long as somebody's drawing the line. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're road dogs. Yeah, but we're not peeing in bottles and all that. So, you know, that was, that was always a different level. And, well, and bottle, pickle jar, what's the difference? Or to me, it's just stop the van and get out and pee on the road. It's like the idea <laughs> that you're peeing into this bottle driving down the road. I'm like, that's too much. That's it's too much pee going man. somewhere. I think That's I'd crash. Going I don't some, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're all going to be on tour together in about another month. Yeah, three man, weeks. I can't or so. wait. I can't yeah. wait for that. I know. I know. And we'll really. I guess I'll get to see your La Fonda. Is that what you're calling it, Les? La Fonda. Come on board. You'll what see is, La Fonda. White La Fonda. What is? What is? You'll this know name? when you see her. She's big and brown and beautiful. Yeah, she is. <laughs> It's a, she's a good car. Uh, now I think I understand the name even better. Yeah. So why why is it brown? Is it, it what's the, did you? You, you just got to see, man. It's like a, it's a, uh, okay. she's retro looking, okay. man. She's uh, cool. Okay. You guys have been playing shows already as the summer has rolled along? Yeah, we've been, we've been touring a bit already, haven't we? We've, we've, this is our second tour this summer, I guess. It's been fun. We're getting better. I'm finally learning the songs. They oh sink in gosh. slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always make the same mistakes over and over again. It's like I learn the mistakes and then I keep repeating them like they're good or something. Well, is is this because you when you made the records you didn't know what you were playing or you're playing bits that you didn't play on the record? How how's that work? I don't know what you know. I, I think we just have a lot of different material and it's it, it's hard to sing and play. You know how it is. Like when I'm trying to sing well, it's hard to remember all the footwork. You Could be I mean? all that peyote he's been chewing on too. Could be that. <laughs> you mean footwork? You mean like pressing yeah, you know, pedals? The pedals. And all- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's That's- no. I mean, you know, I just sing most of the time. I rarely ever play and sing at the same time. And if I do, I fake the playing. You know, I'd sort of do it yeah. like Elvis yeah, would no. do it. I'm just acting. But you, but like you have I'm a lot playing, of you, know? you have a lot of gadgetry to juggle. That's true. You know, so you've got the lasers and shit to handle. I was actually well, exactly. See, I. I think that really works for me. It's like I feel, you know, that that to me feels very comfortable and normal because I don't really even like standing up there singing. You know, I always feel kind of embarrassed about all of it. So I'm always looking for something to do that isn't like <laughs> supposed to be a musician. I you know, know like you oh, I can I can do this really well, and I think that that works for me because yeah, that I'm I just can't remember you know, specific things very well. I have I have a couple of solos that I play that are just like four or five notes that if I if I rehearse them in sound check, you know, I go, okay, I know where that is and stuff. But still after all these years, you know, I'm not a musician that, you know, can hear a note and go, oh, I know where that is. You know, it's it's all just memory of oh this this spot on the guitar or whatever, you know. And so but it is amazing how you can, you know, entertainment and being a musician, they don't necessarily go together. You can know a lot about music and not be very entertaining, and you can know <laughs> nothing about music and be absolutely entertaining, you know. And That's rock and roll sure. is probably some hybrid of all that at the same time, you know. Um, but luckily for me, you know, I, I am playing with some of the, the great, great musicians of our day, you know. So I'm, Yeah, man. You've got Steven. He, he can play everything, man. Oh man, yeah, it's it's, it's just crazy. a marvel. Yeah, you know, one of the best shows I've ever seen. Well, a bunch of the best shows I've ever seen are your shows, but one of the best Flaming Lips shows I've ever seen was when y'all uh, handed out those laser pointers to everybody in the audience oh, on the man. way in. 
Do you remember that? Oh, that man. I don't think yeah. you did that many times because oh, yeah. it was kind of just we were, probably too expensive or something. But no, it, that it, was mind blowing. We, you know, at the time when we got those, I think we got like a hundred thousand of them. It's you know they're they're like a quarter or something. You know, it was it was it was these little it was a, red it was a laser big, pointers. Yeah, these little and everyone in the you know? audience, he would he made us like time it to to yeah. hit this mirror that he would hold above his head. At exactly yeah, the was, same time, and it was wild, yeah. man. Like it was, it was one of the visually one of the craziest things I've ever seen. It was like some like futuristic alien spiritual ceremony. It was like a religious <laughs> ceremony for like for robots. Oh man, it was you, amazing. You, that's a that's a great description, and it was, and it's it's and it's crowd participation and all those sorts of things. But you know what? People got so scared. Like the people at the clubs would be so scared. They're like, we think they're going to point them at our face. And I'm like, right. yeah, they will, but, Everyone but nothing will happen. And, yeah, no, yeah, people I mean, are really I'm, safe these days. Well, they are. I mean, it's, well, I think nowadays they may not be. You know, this is probably going back, you know, maybe 10 years ago or whatever. It's they're, like, they're pretty up to I remember we were on, Charlotte and I, when we were doing the ghost, when it was acoustic, it was just me and her. She really wanted to light her accordion on fire at the end of the Jimmy Fallon show performance, which I thought was a great idea, and they were not having it. She's like, just a little no. bit, just a little, a little no. fire. They're well, like, that is no way. Somewhat no. understandable. Yeah, I guess it is. But yeah, that see, less so and I, less and I are from from our perspective. That seems like not a good idea. I mean, for me, even when I see those that legendary footage of Jimi Hendrix with his guitar on fire, I'm like. Dude, I'm just yeah. worried too much that this yeah. is going to go badly. You know, he's going to hit someone in the face and it's going to blind them. Also, I definitely don't think they would have let Jimmy set his guitar on fire in the NBC studio or whatever. Yeah. It just would not have happened. No, I'm sure they didn't want, I'm sure you didn't ask permission either. I mean, yes, it would have been glorious, but I don't ever see you know, it happening. You know, when Chivo Mano toured with uh, the Butthole Surfers, Gibby would light fires at the end of every show. Did you ever see that show? Oh, he would, yeah. He'd fill a symbol with lighter fluid and light that on fire, and then he'd smash it, and the flames would go up yeah. like 20 feet. And every night I was just terrified we were all going to get burned in. Oh, or totally. Something. Yeah. yeah. And we would have the Especially fire, with Gibby the fire at, marshal would come. When like, Gibby's doing it. Yeah. yeah. They, we, I think we had about like 10 out of 12's shows shut down early because of that. Once he started doing that, the fire trucks would show up. It was crazy. But it does, you know, fire is... It does heighten the experience. I mean, everybody's adrenaline exciting. gets going. And, you know, and if you're exciting. in the audience and you, and you don't care that it's not going to burn your face off or whatever, I think it's thrilling. I mean, when we played with them, it must have been like 1985 or 1986. And they were doing that in these, you know, these thousand seat clubs. I was like, it was like the greatest thing ever. But we were at a safe distance where it's like, well, if the place starts burning up, we're running out the back. But you, know? you guys must but have had pyrotechnics before the, the lifts, right? We did that same sort of stuff where you'd catch stuff on fire and we would have fireworks on stage. And yeah, all of it, just a bad idea. I mean, a cool, great, insane idea, you know, to kind of entertain yourself. But you know, nowadays, if I went to a show and someone shot off fireworks and it hit me in the face, I would I wouldn't like that. You know, yeah. I, I you know I see it as being like, hey, you know, I'm I'm here to listen to your music. Why are you shooting not me in the face with have your face yeah, shot off? Fire. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's but, not the '90s anymore. I'm more into bubble techniques. <laughs> Bubbles in the air, you know, bubble machines, way to go. We would do bubble machines and being open to everything, I think, is what's taught us the best. You know, there are some things that are dangerous. How did you, so, Yeah, I mean, I know that you're the the ringleader of the performance art and like visual aspect of, of your band, but are you always just, like, how do you come up with new ideas? Like I just saw on your Instagram, there's like, there was this new kind of horizontal light strips that made it look like you're swimming in like luminescent right. ocean. Is that yeah. going to be on, is that a part of the stage set or is that at your art house thing? In That's going to be something that we sort of work on before we get on the tour with you and see how, you know, and it's, you guys know every day you go in, it's a different sort of place, what you can do here and there or whatever, you know, but. Right. But are I you working on just, some new things? Yeah, totally. I mean, and, so and that we have our own giant warehouse and that we own all the stuff. I think that's the thing. I can just always be playing with it. You know, when you're just renting stuff and then it's out on the road and then it just gets thrown into a case and then you never see it again. It's very difficult. I mean, we've done 
you know, some shows like that where you just want to have it and play with it and see what all it can do. And so as much as we were able to over the years, we would just buy the stuff and say, oh, good, we're going to use this for the next 10 years. Let's mess with it and see see how it works and all that. And I think that that doesn't serve everybody that well, but it definitely serves the Flaming Lips well, you know, that we are— we get to play with it. We get to control what it's doing and say what it, you know where it goes. Well, because you take the you take for like those LED lights that you kind of made into a weird alien podium that went up to your mic yeah. that you would stand up on. Which I don't know if you still do that because it was like it kind of limited your movement on stage, but it looked amazing. It looked it, like yeah. you were ejaculating laser beams out of your it, feet or something. It, and um, <laughs> I, I was just thinking, like, I was thinking about those lights. Like, I can't imagine that the lighting company normally uses those lights for that purpose. So I just imagine that y'all get these lights and you're like, hey, I can make a crazy squid ejaculation podium out of it. Like, did they? As people do say often. Like, how, how do you figure that out? Right, yeah. Well, I mean, because we just wouldn't, we would just make the lights ourselves. I mean, we would have... You know, Sachem, our our video tech guy, he'd be interested in it. We'd go and start figuring it out, I and see. that we would that we would keep playing with it. I think that's the the part of being on tour that really works right. for the Flaming Lips. Is like, oh, we get to we get to try it again tomorrow night, and then if it doesn't work, try it again the next night, and just trying things. And so, what are you doing these days? Do you still have some of the classics? Like, I remember you had that amazing mushroom period. Where, where, where is the show at now? Do you have some of the same classic looks from before? Is it like a whole new thing or a Yeah, mix? yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I forget all the stuff. I mean, we have like inflatable robots and I ride a unicorn, um, a light up <laughs> unicorn to the audience. And, um, you know, I have my space bubble. Uh, you know, yeah, the, all yeah, those the sorts space of bubbles, <laughs> Doesn't that, everybody. That's, that's a classic. That one has to stay. But People I mean, would want their I money back if you did have that thing, man. I've never heard anyone say or even imply the notion of riding a light-up unicorn through a group of individuals. That's that's, that's <laughs> a pretty sweet thing to be able to say. Badass. He's like, you know, yeah. I'm riding, yeah, you know, I ride my uh, unicorn, light up yeah. unicorn through the crowd. Of course I do. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> and it's that. I mean, and that's just one song in the show, you know. And but I don't know, you know. I think more and more, you know, audiences. You know, they they want stuff. You know, I, I think there's there's always a little bit of, oh, you know, you're a little bit embarrassed about, is this just too much, you know? And I, I would be the first to admit that, yes, the, you know, we do too much sometimes and we do not know what we're doing. And we'd rather go too far and say sorry than, than to wish we had done something and not do it. Well, you guys pull it off, though. Yeah, I, I don't think you need to apologize for anything. It's a pretty glorious thing. The thing that I'm amazed with is sitting there watching you guys as the rest of the audience does, setting up all your own stuff. Yeah, you always are that's, out there. That's even some Mike Watch shit right there. That's that's punk rock. Well, I was about to say, you know, that's the, that's the Mike Watt thing that we still do. But that's mostly born out of just sheer terror that you're going to go up there and <laughs> you know you're you're not have you're not your distortion pedals not going to be plugged in right and you're going to be thinking oh this is going to be great and you struggle through three songs not you can't figure it out so you know i mean as much as it's about music and being in the moment and being spontaneous and all that you know we want it to work you know there's nothing worse than technical difficulties that just take the the joy out of the moment, you know, and that's always waiting for you. You know, every everything you you do is like it, it. You know, you're lucky it doesn't just fuck up all the time. So that moment of standing there, you know, you the audience is there, and there's that you know that anxiety of like you're getting ready to play. It's kind of thrilling, but it's kind of nerve wracking. We just start to mess around with the stuff and say, okay, is it all working? It's all going to happen and do a little bit of a sound check just for ourselves. Like I can hear you now. I can hear that. And, you know, and we kind of embrace it now as part of the flaming lips, you know, the way the flaming lips take the stage, you know, uh, there's, everybody does it in their own way. You know, everybody always talks about the way the Rolling Stones take the stage or something, you know, they'd run up there and, you know, to whereas we kind of fumble up there and plug our shit in and get ready. <laughs> it's definitely cool, man. I remember when we toured with the ghost and y'all, like everyone was asking me what the show was like. And I, and I always felt like it, it feels like the most amazing New Year's Eve ever, every night. 
basically. It's just like which it should be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. we get so it's not embarrassing. It's just you're 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 just nervous about the whole thing and and I I we just Stephen and I especially feel very clumsy like thinking Oh, pay attention to us. Look, we're so cool. You should pay attention to us. I think some performers are great at that. Some performers, they stand there and you just want to look at them because they're just so great, you know? And we just always feel like, oh my gosh, this is, this is just uncomfortable for us. So the more of that stuff that starts to happen, you know, the more we can just sit there and say, hey, look at all this stuff. Isn't it great? And then we're singing and playing while it's all happening. And, but, you know, the secret behind that thing that the Flaming Lips do is like everybody in the Flaming Lips is a secret kiss fanatic, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't. Oh, the secret's out now. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't think that, you know, but it's like as much as Stephen, you know, can play John McLaughlin and, and John Coltrane's music, he loves kiss and same yeah. with Derek and same with, you know, the, 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 with Matt and, and Nick, the drummers and stuff. So it's like, Everybody always thinks, you know, uh, Wayne is is pushing all these goofy ideas onto these serious musicians. And no, I'm like, no, I know no, Stevens. It, it, yeah, it's it's everybody loves it, you know, and and everybody loves the idea. It's 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 like we become superheroes in this in the sense of the way Kiss would. You know, you go up there and you're a character and. I mean, some musicians are just simply themselves, and it's wonderful. You know, I, I think, uh, Sean, I think you're like that. And I actually, Les, I think you're, you're kind of like that. You know, it's just you, you know. Have you ever seen that show, the new one called Tour Bus Diaries? I think maybe you've seen it, yeah. Les, right? Mike Have you Judge. seen it yet? It's like Mike Judge, the guy who did Beavis and Butthead, does like interviews about touring. Uh, you should it, see and, they, and they kind of do like a, a little cartoon about the story. Exactly, and they've done Bootsy Collins. Yeah, and James I, I think Brown. I've seen a couple here and there. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Well, the thing that no- I noticed about the P Funk one, what they were saying that like George Clinton would get all dressed up for the show, then after the show he'd put on his normal street clothes and kind of walk outside, and like he'd be bummed because the groupies wouldn't notice him. They wouldn't even meant they wouldn't even think it was George Clinton because he had just been wearing all these outfits. Whereas Bootsy was just twenty four seven. Bootsy, like he always had the glasses. He would like sleep with the platforms on and shit. So he was always just pulling the ladies after the show, which I think is pretty funny because it just shows like for him, it wasn't even a performance at a certain point. It just sort of became, he just fused with the, with the superhero costume. It's like when, yeah. uh, when Spider-Man and the alien unite. It, it totally. I mean, I think, I think rock and roll really is giving you this identity. I mean, I totally relate to that. I mean, I only would change my clothes if I felt like I didn't want anybody to know it was me. You know, if I'm going to go out somewhere and I don't want to talk with a bunch of, right. you know, drunk people or whatever, you know. But I think rock and roll is great like that. How it it gives you a chance to be like, well, I don't know what kind of character you want to be, you know. And I think I saw you wear that with this one gray jacket, maybe like you know, 20 shows in a row. Like, I always wondered how you could do that. Like, Well, my superpower really is that my sweat doesn't stink. You don't smell. He's like a Japanese. <laughs> yeah, Shiner keeps claiming that, this, this notion as well. A ja- well, it's true. Japanese, we, we think that white people smell more than we do. Japanese. So I'm sort of half-half. I have like half-Caucasian half, smell. Half of Shiner smells. But it's true. The if other half is Tokyo, clear as a whistle. If you're in Tokyo, it's hard to find deodorant. Like, it's really hard. You have to walk for miles and talk to and people. And work up a sweat. Yeah, give, give money to people in alleys, and then you can get some. Well, for me personally, Sean, I've never been around you and thought, you stink. <laughs> Thanks, so, Wayne. You know, well, you have an opportunity here coming up, coming up soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm older now. I've, I've, I, I, I've been, actually, Les, I, I think I've been around you when, I mean, a lot of times we're playing, it is in the middle of the summer, and it's, it's, it's hot, you know. I don't think I've ever thought you stank either. So maybe maybe that's where we're all sharing in a little bit of the superpower. But when people ask me about it, I'm like, well, my, you know, I sweat, but it doesn't smell. I don't sweat that much even, you know. So I don't really have. Most people do sort of say that. They, I don't. I don't know. Most people don't recognize their they own smell. aroma. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Well, this could be the odorless mentor. I have a very large nasal cavity, so I'm. I'm. I pick up on smells. That's I'll, true. I'll, let, though, both, I'll wait, let both you guys know a couple weeks in. No, it's true. Wait, his, his. He really does have an uncanny sense of smell. I swear. We'll go outside of his house. It'll be completely pitch black. We'll be in uh, Northern California, and he'll be like, "Wait." <laughs> 
there's a possum over there, 15 yards to the right. I'm like, no, there's not. <laughs> he can he can smell the animals around. He's got like, a, it's his superpower. That's why he's so good at the, he's also good at wine. He's got, he understands the bouquet of the wine. Because, I've never once smelled a possum. He's giving you, he's shining you. Well, I was giving but, you an example of that's what an, it, That is a fine is example. Like, of, what was it, a raccoon? It was something you were like, there's a raccoon there. Are you serious? Yeah, you said. I don't you, remember that at all. It was either a raccoon we or, or was it a possum? I don't know, but I, I believe you. <laughs> he's sensitive. No, he's he's it's his superpower. It is my one superpower. <laughs> it's hot today, man. It's super hot. We've been having with these weird cold cold like lightning storm shows in the summer in Oregon. Portland was almost rained out, but we got to play for a bunch of elephants. Have you ever played the Oregon Zoo? Probably not. They probably wouldn't let you bring in all that craziness into the zoo. because No, but I mean, we we played the zoo amphitheater here. I mean, I, I, I sometimes those are the greatest amphitheaters ever. And knowing that you can go and visit dolphins and elephants and stuff the day of the show. I mean, I, I love that sort of stuff. Yeah. It was amazing because, you know, uh, Les has this song called Southbound Pachyderm, which is one of my favorites. And we got to play that for a pachyderm. So there's an elephant there and we played the song and it just felt very profound man first. that's magic that was cool. it was magic that's absolutely magic as is are most of the shows outside uh no, no it's been in and out i guess there you go. for some reason the outside shows have have been colder weather though generally speaking well you know at the beginning of the summer it did seem colder now it seems like it's very very hot so you know for me personally playing outside definitely has magic when it all goes well, you know, it's like it's better than anything that can happen inside. But, you know, if it rains or if it's too hot or something like that, it, it, it can it can diminish, you know, the audience having, can be rough. you know. But sometimes I think those things, the hardship or the, you know, the whatever it is, makes it more special at the same time. You know, it's a strange thing. You know, if it no, all goes true. perfectly... That's true. We had like a du- yeah. we had a double rainbow by the end of our show, the one in Portland at the zoo. Oh, oh. amazing! It, yeah, Pachyderms, it was nice. double rainbows. It was, it was like a flaming lips show. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Damn! I wish we would have really been there. It was cool, man. Except they they evacuated the the zoo at one point, so we thought the show was canceled. So I I didn't get to see the lions, which is what I really wanted to do. Oh, okay. But then everyone was upset about. I posted a picture of the the elephant, and people got upset about how the elephant was being exploited and all that. And I can relate to that. Like I understand. Like I do feel bad for the animals. But my perspective is that if we don't have zoos with those animals, sort of ambassadors representing the species, then people will just forget about animals. Like I feel like we have to have zoos to sort of keep animals in the consciousness of people. So I always try to look at the zoo animals as ambassadors to their species. They're sort of sacrificing themselves to to keep them in the in the psyche of man. That's my feeling. Right. And I and I do think there is a there is a new type of zoo that's happening. I mean the Oklahoma City Zoo. You know, it's it they're they're not like they used to be. It's not just an animal in captivity. Some people argue that, but I mean, I mean they, they go to great, great lengths to make sure that these animals, you know, that they're living this full, you know, life yeah. of what they're, the way that their life was intended. And That's cool. maybe there isn't a place in, in, in the near future for animals in zoos. Maybe that really isn't a thing. Maybe it is something that we can, I, I don't know. You know, I, I always think when it goes well, um, it's wonderful. But boy, when it doesn't go well, it seems like there is some, there is some, some exploitation and some suffering going on. Well, that's optimistic, though, because I know that there are more tigers, I think, in captivity in America than there are in the wild or something. So, See, that sounds like a very... That sounds like something Sean Lennon would know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the trivia guy. There's even a part of our The Delirium show where I give trivia to the audience. It's... It's an exciting part of the show. Is that my phone making the noise? Sorry. I'm just trying to look up our tour dates because I feel like I should mention what we're playing. Your tour is going before and after us probably forever. Yeah. It's us and Van Halen. Man, that sounds awesome. That would be amazing. Did you guys get um, to see that show when they when they played recently? Did, did you see it? I saw the last David Lee Roth show at uh, Hollywood Bowl with uh, Brad, my son, and Noel Fielding. So is David Lee Roth with the kind of he was metal amazing. band? I mean, he is amazing. He was amazing. Yeah. He's the greatest he performer. Used, he, you know, he couldn't necessarily hit them notes, 
but he still had all the moves <laughs> and talked all the shit and and was grinning like a bastard. It was amazing. The last time Noel Fielding, who knew nothing about Diamond Dave, was like, "Oh, Diamond Dave, I love Diamond Dave. Oh, Diamond Dave, I love him." So yeah, the I last love, time that we it. stayed in the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood, Van Halen with with David Lee Roth were doing a performance on the one of the TV shows in the street there. Wow. And David Lee Roth was doing something so enthusiastically that he hit himself in the nose with his microphone and his nose was bleeding so hard they had to stop the show. Oh my god. Shiner does that all the time. That's commitment. <laughs> you don't know it's a good show unless you break your own nose. That's right. You know, I like Van Halen with David Lee Roth and nothing against the Red Rocker, um, Sammy Hagar. It just doesn't feel like Van Halen if, if, it, if David Lee Roth isn't there. Do you agree? I agree. Of course. I think we all feel that way, to be honest. It's, it's a funny thing, though. Some people just, you know, you, if you got, you know, you could just float along. You could listen to David Lee Roth and listen to Sammy Hagar. But for me, I could never do that. It's like once David Lee Roth wasn't there, it's just not, I'm not that interested. I agree. Yeah. My favorite are the early records. When you guys came up with this name, the delirium, is it was it meant to be the delirium, and then you put your names in, ahead of it? What's what's the science behind you agreeing with this name? The, I, I don't know. I think we were thinking delirium, but then well, you no wanted one to would call have known. It, you wanted to call it delirium tremens. Oh yeah, I thought delirium tremens, but it was a little too dark. It was a little dark. So, so then we dropped the tremens. <laughs> we shaved it down. Shaved it down. And then we put the names in front so that people would actually come to the shows. That was a smart idea because Les knows that if you just put out a new band and don't have a name in it, a lot of people don't realize it's you. Well, that's the power of branding. I mean, like, Les, when you went out and it wasn't, you weren't doing Primus, did you feel like people are going to know it's you without Primus? Well, everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to go off and do my own thing, and everybody's going to follow me. I'm the Pied Piper. And then, like, <laughs> one-tenth of them come. And you got to you got to build it again. You know, in the late 90s, I did that with the Frog Brigade. And it took a while, and I built it up. But when I go off and do Bucket of Bernie Brains or Sausage or one of these other things, it's it, there's that name recognition thing. So um, for, for pretty much most of the 2000s, I was building the Claypool name, doing Claypool this and Claypool that. So it just made sense when we did the delirium, not to yeah. just call it the delirium. He, he's definitely become a master of like uh, maneuvering new projects into like a, a, their own momentum, and he's good at that. So we, you know, we've been well. It, no, we, or I'm juggling chainsaws. There is some power in that in the group and the name, and it's just a simple identity. And I think. I think very few artists could break away from a well-known group and then just go out there. I always think of like um, Genesis and Phil Collins. Like, you know, Phil Collins takes over the world and then people remember, oh yeah, he was in Genesis, you know. That's crazy. And like, That's how does cool. that happen? But, but usually that doesn't happen. You know, usually it's like you're in a group and then if you go out without the group, people don't really know who you are, you know. Sting, like, did, it. Sting did pretty well too. Couple of people, but even that, it. those guys didn't just jump off the ship and into a bigger ship. You know, they jumped into a rowboat and rowed for a little bit, and they're you know got bigger. I mean, Gabriel. Gabriel's a classic example of that. You know, a lot of people didn't even know yeah. Gabriel was in Genesis. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. No, I mean it's a funny thing that both the dudes that were in Genesis kind of go on and do their thing, and maybe it's that their music really was popular, and some of the Genesis music wasn't that popular, even though they were popular as a group. People didn't really know their songs like they do. Phil Collins and even Peter Gabriel's. Maybe it, it is just the music. You know, at some point, you either know the music or you don't. I mention groups all the time where it's like, I know their music and I don't know the group. You know, there's right. like that song, uh, there's like, God is on the mountaintop, burning like a silk. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could I'm be standing Venus. next to the person that sang that at the grocery store and I wouldn't actually know who it is but I know every word to the song I love the song you know I think a lot of people covered covered that song but I think the last <laughs> version was Wilson Phillips actually right wasn't it I think it was don't be looking at me yeah I think it was Wilson Phillips the last version of it but yeah isn't that like an old I think it was Van Halen and David Lee Roth era right so you guys are playing a show and it's it's three o'clock in the afternoon for you guys correct yep and you're gonna you're getting ready to go do a sound check, and is somebody opening up for you tonight? 
Yeah, you know who is Uni. Oh, there you go. Charlotte. I thought I thought it might be Charlotte and and the fellas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been really nice for me to have Charlotte on the road and stuff. And uh, Les has got Chaney with him, so we're like one big happy family. Oh well, good. And then is that is that is she playing with you guys until we all get together, or, or what's going on there? Yeah, and then when we get together, it's Particle Kid is coming. I think it is exactly. You're right. Yeah. This is going to be a good time. We got a, we yeah, got a good couple cool. of weeks where yeah, yeah, it'll be real fun. And then when you guys go off and do these fishing trips and stuff like that, this, this these are things that you planned while you're on tour. Like you're going to do that together. Well, Les has that all planned out. I don't plan anything. It just kind of falls. I'm the worst planner. I, I generally just go where I'm pointed. That's true. Um, you're, you're not. <laughs> but, <when> I, <laughs> but I'll look at, you know, with the, with the bus thing, I have to somewhat plan ahead of time as far as just our camping, where we're going to camp. Yeah. So I always try and camp near some form of liquid so that I can flick a, flick a fly or whatever. I have all my fishing gear on board. And then a lot of times I'll talk Shiner into coming. I like going oh, out. Oh, I see. It, but but the days that I get up real early to go fishing, I am a little more tired for the show. Because you're more <laughs> exhilarated. You have you have that more of a you have more of a glint in your eye. Yeah. But often too, I'll go and try and wake him up, and he's like, ah, yeah. and then I go by myself. He he'll get up no matter what. If there's fish jumping, he's going. So when you're like after the show, Les, you get in, you'll get in the La Fonda, right? Correct. And you'll drive all night, or you have a driver that helps you. Uh, I have a driver on show days, but on days off, I take the bus and we go f- find some place to camp. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I personally, I, I like. I enjoy I, driving. I, it's, me I, too. I, it's, I do it's too. Very, yeah. I mean, I I just it, it is. It's it's kind of a low. You know, it doesn't take all your concentration, but it takes just enough to kind of, you know, you feel like you're doing something and it's it's like an adventure. Sometimes sitting while someone else is driving, I don't know. I'm just always a little too. I'm too anxious or something. I do like the tour bus. You know, I, I like the, the idea that, you know, you're sleeping while you're getting, you know, you're going somewhere else. and But you don't see I anything. I like that too. You know, when you're driving, you do see the mountains, you see yeah. the road, you see everything. I, I love that. Well, that's the thing is back in the old days when we had the odor home in the early Primus era, we, uh, you know, Lur and I would always drive right after the show because we would be amped up from the show. So we'd put a beatbox between us and a pair of headphones and listen to Floyd and and just look out across the land. And we saw a lot of the country, things that I hadn't seen in 25 years or so, like the Mount Rushmore and the Badlands and-, and Man, totally, Grand totally. Canyon and all these, and now I see them all again. And, and we, we went to the uh, Meteor Crater out there in Arizona. Oh and man, Badlands totally, and yeah. We've, yeah. So, and I've seen all these things again recently with, with my wife, so it's, it's pretty cool. sweet. Rediscovering America. Well, I agree. I mean, the tour bus is, it has its benefits, but it, you don't see anything. You just see a tour bus and you see the venue and that's, that's it. And all that stuff in between is the adventure. It, I mean, it tells you where you're at, tells you where you've gone. It's, I, I, like, I like, you know, seeing the stuff, looking out the window and saying, hey, let's drive over there instead of just going, you know, going past it or whatever. I'm the same way. I've only seen Mount Rushmore once because... There's just no, no one ever plays. Is it in South Dakota? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a big rock and roll town. It's fairly near well, the Well, I know, line, it's but. like, it's, I've only seen it once of all the, you know, all the things I've seen in America, just because you drive it all the time. I've only seen it one time, but it's amazing if you think about it. You know, like, they blew up it's the side amazing. of this mountain and it made faces out of it. It's, it's amazing. It's crazy. You know? yeah, I don't yeah, understand you how You couldn't that do works. that today. Um, hey, so are you bringing the critter out with you on the road? You're... you're Fresh young squire. We are going to attempt it. We have a show next weekend where we sort of see how how good it is for the baby, and then how good it is for us, and all that sort of stuff. But we, I think so. I think we're just going to do like we're. This is like the circus family. Just make sure you do earplugs because everyone in Keith Richards' family, all the kids, are deaf in the same way in the same ear because they would always be in this one. VIP booth, and so all of his kids are kind of missing frequency in one ear. Oh, how funny! Yeah, so you wow. make sure to get ear protection. That's what I recommend. Yeah, we, we we already went to one concert and we thought, hey, that's just too loud. And yeah, exactly. Well, that's good advice. Thank you, Sean Lennon. That's what Uncle but, Sean. Um, yeah, says. we're gonna we're gonna try. Good old Uncle Sean. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we're gonna try, and I think it'll be what a what a great 
adventure. He won't remember any of it, but his deep, deep, deep subconscious will have a great appreciation of it later for sure. It's going to be in his bones, man. I can't wait to meet him. Well, fellas, I have to run. Yeah, we got to go too. You guys, I have to run from this this very long um, <laughs> mic check that we're doing. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you soon. All right. Well, um, it's fucking so cool talking with everybody like this. I knew that we could talk for hours and hours and hours. I hope it makes an interesting podcast. And I love you guys. And it'll I'll be text, number. It'll be number I'll, one. Send our love to Katie I'll, and your I'll baby. I'll text okay? both of you as soon as I get a as soon as I get a minute, and 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 all I'll right. be watching your Instagrams and seeing how things are going. All right. Well, I love all you. Right, later, man. Bye, bye. Love you. Take it easy, man. Wayne Coyne, Les Claypool, Sean Lennon, thank you so much for joining us here on the TalkHouse podcast. Listeners, make sure to catch the Flaming Lips and Claypool Lennon Delirium on tour across America through July and August. If you enjoyed today's episode, definitely make sure to hear the guys on past episodes. And from about the same time, Wayne Coyne in conversation with hip-hop legend Prince Paul. And we've already said it to him privately, but I just want to say from all of us in the TalkHouse family to Wayne and his partner, Katie, so many, many congratulations on the birth of your son. Make sure you check out TalkHouse on all your favorite social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We got them all. At TalkHouse. The TalkHouse theme music was composed and performed by The Range. Shouts. Today's episode was engineered by Michael Ivins on Wayne Coyne's part. That's Michael, also of the Flaming Lips. If I'd known he was going to be recording it, I would have had him mic himself too, Josh. That man is brilliant. Absolutely. Sean and Les were recorded in Sacramento at Ace of Spades by Matthew Maxwell. Also, may I just take a moment to say, another fantastic musician and videographer, he used to play in drug apartments and now makes all of their videos. What a talented team today. Let's just pair the engineers for the next conversation. Right? Subscribe to the TalkHouse podcast for upcoming episodes, including Juliana Barwick and Mary Lattimore in conversation and improvising together, Silver Sun pickups with Butch Vig, Kelsey Liu with Yursa Daily Ward, and so many more. If you happen to be in New York, July 12th, TalkHouse is hosting a conversation between producer Peter Cadis and musician Craig Finn, all about the legacy of Frightened Rabbit's Scott Hutchison. That'll be at Rough Trade in Brooklyn at 6.30 p.m. July 12th. And you'll be moderating that one, right, Josh? I'll be there. Cool. Free event. All info at talkhouse.com slash events. Till next week, I'm Elia Einhorn. I'm Josh Modell. Peace! And brown acid. (laughs) 